number of weeks, we're going to be looking at um, a number of related subjects, all about Jesus and Him being the Christ. And that's going to help us to paint an accurate picture of who He was and who He is and who He always will be. So for the theologians among you, this is, this is known as the, the study of Christology or Christology, and it's the study of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So pray with me today. Father, I pray, Father, that you would help me to, to uh, accurately and some way accurately reflect who you are as we, as we study you. I thank you, Father, that you invite us to put you under the microscope, Father. You invite us to, to know you better, to learn of you, to grow in you and to grow in our understanding of you, that we can walk with you and experience all that you have for us in this life, in the here and now, and in the life to come. So I thank you for your anointing upon me today to share your word accurately in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the name of the series over the next few weeks is going to be Jesus Is. Jesus Is. And today it's Jesus Is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in Hebrews 13 verse 8, Maestro, Hebrews 13 verse 8, the New King James says it just like that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Amplified says it a little bit better. I like this. It says, in the Amplified version, it says, Jesus Christ is eternally changeless, eternally changeless, always, always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. You know, we are all consistent in many ways, but only God is consistently consistent. You know, we can be, we can be consistently inconsistent. You know, you see me today, I'm in a good mood. You see me tomorrow, I'm in a bad mood. I'm consistently inconsistent. You don't know what to expect. God is consistently consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. He cannot change. He is the same. In Revelation 1.8, he says, we sang this earlier, I am, oh, <laughs> I was thinking, I nearly did. <laughs> you got let off the hook there. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who was, sorry, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty, the Almighty. That is who our God is. That is who Jesus is. There are multiple, multiple texts. You're going to have to just appreciate that today. I've really, really had to just cherry pick some scriptures to, to highlight what I want to say today because the Bible is full of it, full of, of accounts, full of different uh, ways we can see Jesus from Genesis through to Revelation and maps beyond even. You know, God is just all over the Bible. And in John chapter 1, verse 1 and, and 1 verse 14, and we haven't got the scripture up there, Stephen, don't worry about it, but we know that the Bible says, most of us know, if you know our Gospels, that the Bible says in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down in verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we see here that the Bible is telling us in the, in, in, in the very outset of the Gospel of John that Jesus Christ is the Word. He is the one that was made flesh, that dwelt among us, and that He was called the Word. And He was in the beginning with God, and He was God. 
and he is God. So when we look today at Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever, we take it on the, in the understanding that Jesus existed even before his incarnation, before his birth as a child in Bethlehem. Jesus existed. He always was. He, he always will be, and, and, and he is yet to come again. Is that cool? We're all on the same page with that. So when we look at Jesus, who, who was, is the same yesterday, today and forever, looking at the yesterday portion, first of all, so I've, I've tried to break this down into, we'll look at the yesterdays first, and we'll go to the, to the Old Testament for scriptures from the Old Testament to show us who Jesus was in the Old Testament. What do we see of Jesus? What can we find of Jesus? And like I say, I've really had a cherry pick because there are so many ways we can see him. And there's three main ways that we're going to look at him today. There's what we call types, types and shadows. There's what are, what are known as theophanies or Christophanies, Christophanies. And that is an appearance of God to man, to human beings for a purpose. And it can be in a non-human form like the burning bush, but it can also be in, a, in, the, in the form of, of a human or the, often called the angel of the Lord would be a theophany. And this happens in the Old Testament. And then there's also prophecies and even covenant promises. So those are the three ways that we're going to look at. Look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. He, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what, who was he yesterday? Before we see him represented in the Gospels, before his earthly ministry, who was Jesus? What do, we, what do we see of him? And so we look at the, we're going to start with the types, the types of Jesus. These were, these were people who, who, who God raised up in the Old Testament before Christ was born, who were, who were to reflect the nature of Christ, just like we are today, to reflect the nature of Christ. You know, the moon lets off light. In the, in, in, when there's a full moon, you can see light from the moon. But it's not its own light, it's a reflection of the sun's light. And that's what these guys were. These types are a reflection of the character and nature of Christ. And that's how we ought to be today as we live our lives. So, the first one I want to start with, and like I say, there's multiple. We've got some handouts that we'll, we'll, we'll hand out to you next week. Um, we couldn't get them in time for today, but we have got some handouts. If anybody wants, come and speak to us next week, which means you've got to come back next week, regardless of what you think of my preaching today. Okay, so the first one we're going to start with are the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb. Like I said, uh, not all theophanies have to be, or not, oh, sorry, we stay with types. Stay with types, okay. The Passover lamb. This is a type of Christ. Now, we know that in the book of Exodus, the children of Israel were, were in bondage. They were slaves in Egypt. And God has sent Moses to them, and he's, and he's, he's sent Moses to Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh has hardened his heart, and he's refused, and he's increased the burden on the children of Israel. And so now God, after sending him many, many warnings, many slaps over the wrist, is now going to bring judgment on Egypt. And so he speaks to Moses in, in Exodus chapter 12, and I suggest read it for yourself. But we're going to pull out just a few verses from there. And speaking to Moses in Exodus 12, um, 1 to 11 is really the main context of it. We'll start at verse 3. And God says to, to Moses, speak to the congregation of Israel and tell them that on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. So each household is to go and get a lamb. And then he gives them more detail about it. He says in verse 5, he says, your lamb shall be without blemish, 
a male of the first year, and you may take it from a sheep or from the goats. But the important thing here is that the lamb should be without blemish. And in verse 6, we haven't got this one up, Stephen, but I'm going to read it anyway. It says, and God says, now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, and then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And I just thought of this this morning, while I was just reading, while I was preparing. You know, it says that the whole assembly of the congregation shall, shall kill the lamb at the same time. And I thought of Jesus when he stood in judgment before Pilate. And Pilate said to him, he, Pilate questioned him, he interrogated him in front of everybody. They were all crying for his blood, they all want to crucify him. And Pilate interrogates him and he turns to the, he turns to the Jews, the, the leaders, and he says, I find no guilt in this man. This man is innocent. Why, why do you want me to crucify them? And, and they say, they, they turn to him and they say, his blood be on us and our children. The whole congregation of Israel crucified Christ. It was the whole congregation. When we're looking at types, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're looking at types. What happened in the Old Testament? What happened to the Passover lamb? is what happened to Christ. He was, he, it was the congregation that, that, that crucified him, not just the Romans. And he says in verse 7, Then you shall take some of the blood from the lamb that you killed, and you'll put on the doorposts and the lintel of the house where they eat it. And today we know that the blood of Christ was shed for us, that it should be on the, on the, on the doorposts and, and, and the lintel of our lives. The blood of lamb covers the doorposts and the lintel of our lives. It is over us. It covers us above and on the sides. And he says in verse 11, and thus you shall eat. He gives further instructions on how they eat it. And he says, it is the Lord's Passover. It's the Lord's Passover. It's the passing over of judgment. God was bringing judgment on, on Egypt, but his children were to be spared from the judgment Now, 1 Peter, verse 18 and 19, Peter writes to us and he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Similarity to the Passover lamb. It had to be without blemish. And in 1 Corinthians 5.17, in case you aren't convinced, he says, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So the first type that we see of Jesus, of Christ, in the Old Testament, is the Passover lamb. The second one that I pulled out there was, was Joshua. Even the name Joshua just means uh, uh, Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh's salvation. And Joshua, his name meaning Yahweh's salvation, was also the one who brought Israel out of, out of bondage into the promised land. He, he went with them into the land of Canaan, into the promised land. And, and we see in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see the angel appearing to, to Joseph. And he says to him, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife, because what is born in her is, is, is of the Holy One. And you will call his name Jesus, which means God saves. Joshua, Yahweh saves. And he, for he will, because he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus and Joshua, there's that type there. And Jesus also says in John 14, in my father's house are many mansions. I've got to make a place for you. 
So just like Joshua took the children of Israel into the promised land, so Jesus brings us into the fulfillment of that promised land, into heaven itself, into the Father's house. He makes a way for us. You know, as we, as, as we look at this stuff, can I encourage you? You know, this is, this is teaching, and, and so it's not very rah-rah. But I encourage you, to find Jesus in this. Find for yourself, you know, the whole point of, of, of what we are doing is to, is to open up the Scriptures to remind ourselves of who God is. And what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us? We, what we don't want to do is get a bunch of head knowledge. We want to be transformed. We want our lives to be transformed. We want to grow in our understanding of God so that we can be changed and that we can enjoy this life that he's given us to live. In Joshua, sorry, in Joseph, another fantastic type of Jesus. In the book of Genesis, we see Joseph, and we all know the story of Joseph. He's, first of all, he's betrayed by his very own brothers and sold for a sum of money, 20 shekels of silver. And then, after being sold into slavery, then he's unjustly condemned for crimes he hadn't committed. But so that in Genesis 50, verse 20, he could say this in Genesis 50, verse 20. But as for you, he says, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about it as it is this day to save many lives. Jesus, in Matthew 26, was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver in agreement to betray him. Pilate said to the chief priest of the crowd, I find no guilt in him. Just like Joseph was unjustly condemned, Jesus was unjustly condemned. Just like Joseph was sold for a sum of money, Jesus was sold for a sum of money. Just like Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God allowed for good so that many could be saved. Jesus, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he, being God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. He made him, Jesus, to be sin, him who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Caiaphas, the, 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 the chief priest of that year, turned to the other priests, to the other leaders of the Jewish nation at that time, and he said, when they wanted to, 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 to stone Jesus, he said, you know nothing, you understand nothing, you don't understand that it's better that one man should die for the nation than the whole nation should perish. Jesus was, or Joseph rather, was that type of Jesus, that reflection of Jesus to his generation to reveal to man what the nature of God looked like. So when, when you read your Bible, and when you read your Old Testament, when you read about the account of Joseph, this is a type of Jesus. He's a type of Jesus. This, this, this is, this, this, God is showing us little bits, bit by bit, his character. He's revealing his character to us. This one, this, this, this guy Joseph, who was, who was falsely accused. I mean, in fact, the reason Joseph got accused was for doing good, for, for refusing to commit adultery with this man's wife. And because of that, he got thrown. How would you feel? And yet, he gets thrown into jail. He stays in prison for years and years. And he comes out, and he finally faces his own brothers who have betrayed him, who threw him into, sold him into slavery in the first time. And he has such a good attitude towards them. Think now, think Jesus. 
This is a reflection of the nature and character of God. Think how much we have done wrong to God. Think how much harm we have done to the name of Jesus. The, 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 the disrespect we've, 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 we've shown towards him and towards his name in our past. Think of the way humanity speaks of Jesus and uses his name as a curse word. And yet this is God. He forgives. He doesn't hold a grudge. He's merciful. He makes a way. The Bible says in Romans that, that um, God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is who God is. This is the kind of God we serve. So, okay, so those are types. Okay, theophanies. Joshua 5, 13 to 15. I love this one. And it came to pass, there's a scripture up there, Joshua 5, 13 to 15. Now this is Joshua, and he has now led the children of Israel over, over the Jordan, and they're, the, uh, and they're standing on the other side. And it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man, capital M, stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. I love this. Joshua says to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he says to him, No. I didn't think that was a yes or no answer question. Are you for us or for our adversaries? I'm for you. No, I'm for your adversaries. He says, no. Other, other translation says, neither. Neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. You know what? We serve God. He doesn't serve us. There's one point, right? So we're here to serve him. And the other is this, is that, you know, just a reminder, we don't, flesh, we don't war against flesh and blood. God is not against our enemies, naturally speaking. You know, we, 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 we need God's help to, to do what we can't do, to fight those spiritual battles that need to be fought. But don't, don't, put, don't, put, a, don't put a name to what the enemy is doing in your life. See, see the enemy behind the people who are bringing hardship into your life. God is not against people. God desires for people to be saved. God didn't, Jesus didn't come to destroy life, but to save life. Jesus came in this account here in Joshua 5, verse 14, as commander of the arm of the Lord, I have now come. What did he come to do? To fight that spiritual battle that had to be fought that Joshua could not do so that the children of Israel could then go and take in the natural. We don't war against flesh and blood. And in Revelation 19, we see the fulfillment or the, the other side of this. Revelation 19, verse 11 to 14 says, now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he, capital he, who sat on him, was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. 
Just like in Revelation 1, when you see the account of, of Jesus for the first time in Revelation 1, his eyes were like a flame of fire. These artists that paint Jesus with the watery blue eyes and a lamb over his shoulder skipping through the tulips have got it so wrong, church. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written on it that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Why? He was the lamb that was slain. His robe is dipped in blood. And he is called the Word of God. Come on, who is the Word of God? And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the white walls. He is the commander of the Lord's army. So here we see him in Joshua that theophany appearing to, to Joseph. And now we see him in the book of Revelation, about to return again, with the arm, leading the armies of heaven. He is the word of God. He has eyes as flame of fire. He is our soon coming king. Come on. Amen. Amen. You know, it's so frustrating because all I can offer you are words and, and scriptures. And I understand that it's quite clinical because you can't really preach into this. It's just a teaching. And I, can't exp and I can't get over to you. Oh, church, we, we need, I was so blessed. I spent the whole of yesterday just getting these scriptures together. I was so blessed. I was tired by, the, by about 10 o'clock last night, but I was so blessed just from spending time meditating on these scriptures. And that's the only way. Do you know, if you desire to hear God's voice, it's not an audible voice that we were looking for. Please don't go looking for audible voices. You'll go, you'll go crazy, right? But if you want to hear God's voice, Read his word. But don't just read it. Meditate on it. You know, I can, I can sit on a scripture or a passage of scripture for weeks, months on end. Just, just There is so much nutrition to be received from it. But we need to take the time to set aside. Get quiet. I, I, I like the mornings the best. Before I've opened up my emails, before I've encountered people and issues for the day, when my head is still sort of clear, and just start the day slowly and just, just meditate on who God is. I tell you, he, he, he changes your life. He changes your life. But th this is the vision for this church for this year, for family church. That this year, it is dis it's all about discipleship. About us becoming disciples of Jesus. No one else can do it for you. No one else can do it for me. I have got to make the time to, to know him. And I'll, I'm just... Sorry, I'm just encouraging you today. I'm speaking to the choir. You all, yeah, okay, I'm preaching to the converted, so it's all good. But, oh, get alone with God this year. Okay, quickly then, prophecies. I don't know how we're doing for time. We're okay? Prophecies. Fantastic scripture in Deuteronomy 32, 43. Something that is just so overlooked. And I think David is possibly the only person I've seen in the Old Testament who actually picks up on this. Deuteronomy 32, 43 says, the, the, the latter part of that scripture, and I'm just cutting to the end so we don't have too much detail, but it talks, talking of God, it says, he will, he, sorry, it starts and says, rejoice, O Gentiles, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Now, Deuteronomy, Deuto being two, is the second giving of the law, Deuteronomy, and he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, but remember, the law's coming to Israel, not to the Gentiles, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And he says in the end of that verse, says, he will provide atonement for his land and his people. God will provide atonement for his people. But now, we know the law says that if you sin, then you are to take, I don't know, a dove or, 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 or an ox or, or a lamb. And you're to take it to the priest, what? To make atonement for your sins. 
Under the law, you make atonement for your sins by taking an offering and a sacrifice to the high priest or the priest to be made for you. But God says right here in Deuteronomy 32, I will make atonement for your sins. I will make atonement. And he says it not just to the children of Israel, but to, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles. Rejoice, O Gentiles. You know what? Hebrews 12, 7. A clunky scripture to read, but please stay with me. It says that, therefore, talking of Jesus, in all things, he had to be made like his brothers, his brethren. That's us. Jesus had to be made like us. He had to come in the form of a man, that he might be a merciful. Look at the character of God. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. That word propitiation literally means to atone for, to atone for. What did God say to the, to the, to the, to the children of Israel? God will make atonement for his people. What does Hebrews say? Jesus will make atonement for his people. So when we look at the prophecies concerning Jesus, we're talking about Jesus being the same. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't change. Whether it was in the law, a prophecy given through the law saying that God will make atonement for you, and then you see it in the book of Hebrews, God has made atonement through you. Here it is. He has the fulfillment of it. It is in the person of Jesus Christ. We see it, a prophecy, prophecy to, to Abraham. This is as much covenant as it is prophecy, but nevertheless, it's still prophecy. It's a promise, right? And in Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, we see God speaking to Abraham and promising Abraham that through him, through his obedience, the whole earth would be blessed. And Genesis 22, 18 is probably the clearest one to show from that. And it says, in your seed, God speaking, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Galatians 3.16 now to Abraham and his seed, capital S, seed, were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as one, and to your seed who is Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. The promise made to Abraham was Christ. In Genesis, I genuinely did forget to hit start at the beginning, so I'm down to 20 minutes. How are we going? How for time? Okay, good. Kwame, bless you. He says, carry on. I'm carrying on, okay? Blame Kwame, all right? <laughs> okay, cool. Genesis chapter 3. We won't have time to read it, and I, and I'm, I do apologize. I know there's lots of scriptures, and I've still got more that I want to share with you. Um, but in Genesis 3, we won't read it because it's too big, but it's of the fall of man. And please go and read it. And actually, in fact, I suggest the, 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 the messages are recorded. Go back and listen, and, and if, if you've missed any of the scriptures, go back and listen to it to get the scriptures out to meditate on them for yourself. And while you're about it, the, all, all of the churches, all of family churches, we're, we're going along the series in the same steps today. So that you can listen to any of the messages from any of the other congregations as well. Because everybody's going to... Sandy says, this will be the best. But all the congregations... So you, but you'll hear something different because there's so much to share. So, so go and listen. But anyway, um, but in Genesis chapter 3, it's the fall of man. And... We're looking at the prophecies and, and covenant promises of God that show that Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in Genesis 3, man falls. And you read the account there, and you see that God's first, God's first instinct, if I can call it that, his instinct, 
is to naturally to come and to protect, to cover and to protect and to, to promise a way of escape for, for man. It's God's very first instincts. And, and he promises at that time, he says, I'm going to send a seed born of this woman, a seed of the woman. Now, I'm not a biologist, but I know that man, seed, woman, egg, that's how it works. Woman doesn't have the seed, man has the seed. And yet God says, the seed of the woman. Why? Immaculate birth, the virgin birth. Even that, you know, God is so detailed in his thinking. He is so, his understanding is beyond. If you trace all of God's prophecies from the very first, from Genesis through, it's, it's incredible. The thought that there's no way anybody pulled this together. This is not some conspiracy theory, let me tell you. There is such detail in God's planning. And the whole of the Old Testament is the account of God raising up men and women of faith, men and women that he can get into covenant promises with. It's a legally binding agreement so that he can legally bring his son into the earth so that God can be born a man by legal means to be our Messiah, to pay the price for us. So I encourage you, read Genesis 3. See how God's first instinct is to protect and to cover and to provide to uh, that very moment to come with a way of escape for us. When Jesus is finally born, what does the angel say? His name is Jesus. God saves. God saves. So Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he says, he will do. Now this is where, okay, if you can bear with me another 10 minutes. Is that all right? Ten minutes, cool. Because this is like the bragging stuff now. You know, like Paul said, I won't boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, this is the bragging part now, because now we get to look at Jesus, all right? And the fact is that Jesus remains the same. He is the same. Psalm 15, verse 4, I'm jumping a little bit here, but Psalm 15, 4 says, Blessed is the man who swears to his own hurt and changes not. That is what our God is. That is who our God is. God swears to his own hurt and changes not. What he starts, he completes, regardless of the price that he has to pay for that. Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18. I'm going to just pull out a few scriptures just to show you. Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18. Jesus speaking. Do not think, oh, that's not too good, eh? Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill what God starts, he completes. And he says, for surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot, not one tittle of the law will pass until all is fulfilled. What God starts, he completes. And so we see Jesus in the Gospels from the seemingly smallest acts of obedience through, right through to, to the cross. And in Matthew 3, 13 to 15, we talk, we see Jesus, and it says that Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Jesus came there. We'll come back to that. And John tries to prevent him, and he says, I need to be baptized by you, and you, are, you, know, you, you want me to baptize you. And Jesus says to him in verse 15, permit it so for now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. What God starts, he completes. He swears to his own hurt and changes not. If he says he'll do something, he will do it. He, will, he is the same. He is consistently consistent. If God says he will do it, he will do it. 
Bible says in other places, he keeps his, he keeps his promise to a thousand generations. Mark 10, 32. Now they're on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was going on before them. And they were amazed. Talking of the disciples, they, the disciples, were amazed. And as they followed him, they were afraid. They went from being amazed to afraid on the way up to Jerusalem. And then Jesus takes the twelve aside and he begins to tell them the things that are going to happen to him when he gets there. And he describes to them that he will be betrayed, they will condemn him to death, they will mock him, they will scourge him, they will spit on him and kill him. And yet here we find him. They're going up to Jerusalem and Jesus is going up before them and they go from being amazed to being afraid because they're with a person who's about to get crucified. I would probably also be afraid. In both of these accounts, first of all, we see Jesus coming to John at Galilee to be baptized by him. It wasn't like he was just walking past and thought, oh, this is probably a good idea. He came to John that all righteousness might be fulfilled. He headed up to Jerusalem, no one will lay ahead of him that all righteousness might be fulfilled. God swears to his own hurt and changes not. If God said it, you can take it to the bank. In Luke 24, 44, Jesus speaking, he says, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Knowing full well what lay ahead of him, he went through it all. Jesus is consistently consistent. He is consistently consistent. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can see him through types in the Old Testament. Hundreds, hundreds of types. Theophanies, Christophanies, prophetic. He is there throughout the Bible. We see that he is the same, that what he says, he will do. And so I was going to bring a conclusion here, and I thought, actually, I'm leaving the conclusion blank. You, we need to draw our own conclusions. The conclusion is yours. What do you want to do with this, Jesus? Do you want to grow in your relationship with him? Or do you want to just remain an admirer? I don't want to be an admirer of Jesus. I want him to change my life. I want to follow him to the point that my life has changed, that I'm changed. One of the, I've been a Christian now for 30-something years, and I find myself, every, the, the greatest joy I find in life at the moment is when I realize that I've changed a little bit, that I don't respond or I don't react to something the way I used to. It gives me such a buzz. It's not even a buzz. It's not even the right word. It just... It just it just blesses me when I see that I'm changing. You know what? None of us have arrived. The Apostle Paul said, you know, not, not that I've already attained, but I, but I reach forward that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. What has Christ Jesus laid hold of you for? You're called to be an ambassador for Christ. Just like those guys in the Old Testament were, were types of Jesus. And they were to reflect the nature of Jesus to their world. The nature of God. So you and I are called Christians, little anointed ones, 
We're meant to be those reflections, like the moon reflects the light of the sun. We are meant to reflect the nature of God as his ambassador. So, so the conclusion I'm leaving open, what are you going to do with this Jesus? I encourage you, dig into his word. If you want to hear the voice of God, listen to his voice. Listen. God wants to be heard. He's given us a whole Bible. It is so rich. It is so there is so much to learn. You could never learn all there is to know about him in this lifetime. But I encourage you from the bottom of my heart, dig in. Because it's been really heavy, I'm going to start end with a joke. So a pastor goes to this couple for, for dinner just before Christmas one year. And they have a lovely meal and they end the meal and the pastor goes home. And, and after he's gone, they're clearing up and the wife says to her husband, she says, I'm not being funny, but I think he's stolen our spoon. And they turn the house upside down, they can't find the spoon. And for the rest of the year, it bothers this woman. It's really bugging her. It's like, I'm sure he stole our spoon. He's stolen our spoon. Well, a year later, they have the pastor back for dinner again. And they're having dinner. She just can't hold it any longer. She says to him, I've just got to ask you, the last time you were here, did you steal our spoon? And he says, no, I hid it in your Bible. I love that joke. The point is this, church. If you want to hear the voice of God, open your Bible. He is waiting today to talk to you. Okay, God is for you. He loves you. He's on your side. He has good plans for you to prosper you and not to harm you. Give me questions afterwards, okay? And I'll answer them all if I can. All right, or else I'll send Sandy to you. All right, God bless you. Sandy, do you want to close?